Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Good to be in God's house today. Amen. And it's always good to be in his house when you can be in his house. Amen. Thankful to, uh, <clears throat> I would thank Bishop, but then he got sick on me and then went to uh, Brother Mason uh, for Wednesday. And as a uh, point of reference, then all of our other guys like uh, Brother Zach and Brother, M- Brother Malone wasn't near either, was sick. Brother Malone and uh, uh, Brother Alex, my recommendation would always have something laying aside because you just never know when something like that could arise and like that one couldn't and that one couldn't and then it's you. So just uh, always have something laid aside. Uh, years ago, uh, Brother Lang talked about how his pastor always told him to prepare to preach every week even if he was or wasn't. And he says even if you don't, he said over time you'll get a, a, a stockpile of things that get stockpiled up. And so we don't want these type of things to happen. Amen. But they do. I was saying this morning, sickness is just a necessary interruption. And uh, I, 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 I despise it. I don't like to be down long. It drives me nuts. I know you're sick, but still, I just can't handle it. Amen. But anyway, good to be in the house of the Lord today. And do thank Brother Mason. Amen. For filling in last minute. And he's had a couple of those times here recently with uh, death, death in our family and then also uh, that. So we're going to not try to make a habit of that, Brother Mason. Uh, in any way or take advantage of that or abuse you with that Uh, but uh, here we are today in the house of the Lord and then uh, this week on Thursday uh, brother Reese delivered some chicken and noodles and and mashed potatoes and I think that was a combined effort of him and uh, Zach and Melin McGee family uh, because I've been just because of being sick at first I thought maybe it was pastor appreciation it's just really because I was sick that they did that brought some food and I'm here today as a result of that now but uh I didn't get more sick after that, if that's any consolation. So, you know, that's something to chalk up. Uh, but anyway, good to be in the house of the Lord. Uh, we are talking about this morning and have been for the past uh, several weeks whenever I'm uh, fulfilling this pulpit on Sunday morning. We've been talking in our series about We Offend All. Uh, our subject matter has been, James, you may be seated this morning. I'm just kind of going to get into this. Our subject matter has been from James, how in all things we offend all, that we all have a responsibility. You could see Angel this morning, just happens to hear in. She just must be over in this area for some reason and dropped in uh, because she goes to the church of Brother Wagner's over there in Haven. Their family does much, much closer place for them to worship, and they've been able to be consistent with that and happy for that. Amen. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we offend all how <clears throat> we all have parts where sometimes we're the offender, sometimes we are the offendee uh, in these matters. And you will play both during your lifetime, probably more than once, probably more than once. And so we spoke about some of these things last week. Today we're going to talk about your response, your reward uh, concerning this we offend all. I think we could probably agree in the the greater portion of uh, the book of Genesis is about this particular character. And if there was ever a character in the Bible that could have felt justifiable 
in taking offense, I believe the character Joseph in the book of Genesis could argue his point that he had every right to be offended uh, whenever we look at the scriptures. But Joseph did not take offense. There's a lot of things that happened to Joseph that he did not, he did not ask for these things to happen to him. And that's usually the way it is in life. There's a lot of things that happen to us that we don't ask for them to happen. But here's the interesting thing. Both good things and bad things, Joseph did not ask to happen to him in his life. For instance, he didn't ask for the dreams that he received, right, that he shared with his mother and father and his brethren. He didn't ask for those dreams. He didn't ask for the favor of his father, right? His father gave him that coat of many colors. He didn't ask for that, uh, but it was granted to him. He didn't ask, right, for the hate that his brothers uh, gave him quite regularly or uh, were very menacing toward him. Uh, He didn't ask to be sold into slavery, but this was something that took place in his life. He didn't ask to work in the household of Potiphar, but that's where he found himself. He didn't ask to be betrayed uh, by Potiphar's wife and then thrown into prison, but it happened. He didn't ask to be forgotten in prison and then about a couple years later to be remembered uh, by one of the servants of Pharaoh. He didn't even ask to serve under the hand of Pharaoh. All these different things happen in Joseph's life, some that we would say are very good, some that we are say are negative, but either of those, good or bad, he did not ask for them to come into his life. And so Joseph's story is a story, it is proof, that just because there is opportunity for offense, right? Because Joseph had it. Hated of his brothers, sold into slavery, huh? Betrayed by Potiphar's wife. We, I mean, we can start going down the list. He had opportunity for offense, but he still had a choice whether or not to take offense. Which tells us just because you have opportunity for it doesn't necessarily mean you have to take it. Right? So Joseph, Joseph had not done what he was accused of for instance, concerning Potiphar's wife. She, the Bible says, daily uh, was trying to be alluring toward Joseph that he would lay with her. If you are familiar with the story in Genesis, daily uh, she did this until finally that advance was so much so that Joseph exited the building in a rush uh, very, very abruptly in doing so. He left his, his outer garment. She had it left in his, her hand and she used them that as a tool of accusation against Joseph that he indeed had laid with her or took advantage of her. And so uh, here he is, all of this taking place. Uh, had, he had not done what was accused of him. He did not take advantage of, of Potiphar's wife. He did not lay with her. He did not do any mistreatment toward her. As a matter of fact, he told her he couldn't do even what she was desiring because he would be sinning against God was his plea. And so, but the thing is this, we can't choose necessarily what does or what doesn't happen to us 
It'd be nice if we could, wouldn't we? Because we would, we would for sure have a good program set up for ourselves if we were able to choose what did. Brother Malone, all those car repairs that happens, you know, it seems like right before or after the Texas trips, we'd just say, nah. We would realign that uh, if we could choose what did or didn't happen to us. But the choice that we do have, and, and this is difficult, listen to me, please understand. So, well, because it's hard to do. We have a choice, though, in how we respond to the things that happen to us. We really do. And I know things happen automatic. Something occurs in our emotions, right? We become angry. We're disappointed. We're uh, uh, whatever. We're, 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 we feel dejected. Right in the moment, there's feelings that arise. And feelings are feelings. They're, they're going to come. They're, they're going to happen. They're going to, they're going to arise in our lives. It's what we do with what we feel. It's what we do with what we feel and how we respond to what happens to us. Again, understand that's easier said than it is done. It's, it's easy, really, to tell somebody, you need to turn the other cheek, you know, like Scripture tells us or admonishes to. And I kind of uh, alluded to this this morning, whenever you're not the one in that circumstance in the moment having to deal with what's being dealt with. Uh, the scripture that I shared in the back this morning comes from the book of Kings. Uh, the king of, of Israel was saying, He's saying, don't, don't boast as you put on armor as one that would take armor off, meaning someone that's taken armor off has already went into a battle or into a situation, and they're finished. They're taking it off. They might be able to boast or crow about what they did or how they handled something, but you can't necessarily boast the same way because you've not yet been to battle. You can't say what you would do in that scenario because you've not had that scenario. Right, and so uh, I know it's easier to say than it is to do, especially sometimes when you have uh, just just metaphorically speaking, whenever you just have that reddening handprint already on one side of your cheek, right? Uh, to say to turn the other one, that's not, that's not as easy to do. But here's how I know that Joseph, particularly did not internalize everything that happened to him in his life, particularly that was negatively and absolutely take offense or hold a grudge or become bitter over the things that took place in his life. The reason why I know he didn't is because the different episodes or times in Joseph's life when it would have been a grand opportunity for him to be uh, uh, revengeful, when he could have gotten even, we would say, settled the score, whenever that opportunity presented itself and he had the chance, Joseph didn't do it. When he could have turned the tables and said, uh-huh, that's what you did to me, kind of I scratch your back, you scratch mine, yet in a negative fashion, you did, treated me that way, I'm going to treat you. When the opportunity came, he did not. There were two major occasions in the story of Joseph when he could have done this. First of all, it's whenever he first revealed himself unto his brothers, even prior to that. Think what he could have done to his brothers whenever they didn't recognize him to be their brother, right? Because he stood right among them. He spoke to them through a translator, Egyptian translator, uh, because he's second in command to Pharaoh. They're thinking he's just that. It's too many years have went by that they don't even recognize uh, their own brother. Think of everything he could have did because he had the power to do it because he's second in Egypt, the second commander of Egypt. He had the power to do it uh, and... At that time, they didn't even know who he was, and he could have did it kind of under the guise of not even being known that it was their brother doing this to them, 
yet he did not. But this occasion where he reveals himself to his brothers, the Bible tells us in Genesis 45 that his brothers, when he revealed himself, hey, I am your brother Joseph, yeah, the one that you sowed into slavery, so on and so forth. The Bible says that his brothers were troubled at his presence. They were troubled at his presence because they're thinking in their mind all the guilt and the shame of what they had done to their brother comes to them in this moment and they recognize he is a man of power right now, right? In this country, in this land, we're needing provision and food and so he could just cut it off right here at the pass. He could do whatever he wants and so they're troubled at his presence and how does Joseph handle this? He doesn't bring down the gauntlet. He doesn't say, off with their heads, you know, or any of those type of matters. The Bible says that Joseph reassured his brothers. He tells them, hey, don't, do, do not be grieved or, or do not be angry with yourselves. Do not be grieved with yourselves. Do not be angry with yourselves. Folks, you know, if the shoe was on my foot, some of us would almost smolder just a little bit in the idea. <laughs> yeah, now what are y'all cats going to do? Good enough for you, you're feeling bad. Good enough for you that you're feeling shame and guilt and all of that. But Joseph didn't walk that road. The second opportunity, so I believe Joseph did not internalize what negatively happened to him that he could have taken offense over, he did not internalize that because he could have done, he could have responded differently in this moment. The second time that he could have taken advantage of his brothers in this, this scenario is whenever Joseph's father, Jacob, whenever he died. The Bible tells us in Genesis 50 that his brothers, what they thought in their mind, now that dad is dead and has passed away, that Joseph will requit or that he will repay us for the evil that we have done in his life. We know he did nothing whenever we found out that he was the second command of Egypt, but perhaps he was just waiting for dad to die, right? Not wanting to bring any more grief in dad's life. You know, he's already experienced enough. Maybe now that dad's dead, he's going to repay us the evil. And so they have all of these fears again, of that Joseph is going to retaliate, Joseph is going to come, and he's going to do damage into their lives, but he does not. Joseph is there after their dad has died. He's, he, he's hugging his brothers. He's kissing them. He's affirming to them again, hey, uh, the, nothing's changed here. We're, 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 we're okay. We're not at odds with one another. You don't have to worry. Put all of that aside. So again, I believe that illustrates to us that Joseph is not holding grudges or bitterness toward these things that were we look at at outside of were absolutely negative amen in the life of Joseph he didn't allow them to become a schism between him and his brothers we see also similar things that happen in other stories of the Bible you look at the two characters of David and Saul Saul is king David has the anointing of kingship upon his life he's going to be the next king and yet multiple opportunities David wasn't treated let's just get to the fact David wasn't treated too kindly by King Saul was not I mean if you had a javelin thrown at you when you was in the same room with somebody and you know it wasn't like a slip of the hand or inadvertently just happened but they were aiming for you and you had to step out of the way to dodge it you might have a few little ill feelings toward that person right and so things are not necessarily all flowers between David and between King Saul. For that matter, Saul's getting together a conspiracy of people that's roaming the land, chasing David. Here and there, 
desiring really to, to snub him out and take his life. But we know at least on a couple, uh, a couple occasions in Scripture where Saul was in places, one was in the cave, uh, David and his men were in a cave. It was dark. The Bible says that, that, that Saul went in there and he covered his feet, which is a very, very, very uh, biblical King James way of telling us he went in there uh, to use the restroom, basically. I, 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 the, the King James doesn't just come out and tell you that, but that's what that is saying. So here's how David's army in this dark cave. Saul is in a very vulnerable state. And David could have finished him right then but he didn't. Another time, Saul is asleep. He has some other men that are asleep around him. All these people are asleep. They walk over into this camp of Saul. They even take the spear, the Bible says, that is by his head and, and a cruise of water. They then get at distance from him and holler at him to show him, hey, we took the spear from your, that's at your head in this water. We could have taken your life, but we didn't. So on two occasions, David could have smote him, but he did not. Not only that, let's take it a step further. Some of David's own men, we'll call them friends, were even encouraging David, striking, killing, do away with him. And David's like, no, not, not going to touch the Lord's anointed. No, I know this opportunity is presented here, but I'm not going to do that. Even when he had the encouragement of others around him. Please note that the encouragement of your friends to do wrong isn't necessarily a voice of reason in your life. Well, but Brother Fred, they've been with me through thick and thin. Listen, if their voice of reason would contradict this voice. Amen? Then it's not something that you necessarily need to give ear to. Amen? And so, so David did not. He, he withstood those that were encouraging him. He, he even disallowed somebody else. No. Abishai says, David, if you'll just allow me to, I'll go over and I'll take, on, take off his head on your behalf. You, you won't have to touch him. It won't be you touching God's anointed. I'll touch him. If you just allow me, I'll go over there and take care of him. Nothing said. David, although it wouldn't have been his hand, although it wouldn't have been his involvement, still disallowed Abishai from going over and doing. You know what he said? He said, I don't want anybody else to take revenge. Huh? Number one, it's not your revenge to take. Number two, David understood it wasn't his revenge to take. Oh, God. Whew, man, it's already deep in here. Y'all going to make me sick here this morning. I mean, <clears throat> what are you saying? Because sometimes we'll gloat. If somebody else is taking care of some business, we wish we were, but we knew if we did, then it would come back on us. But since they are, we kind of feel good that they are doing it. Well, help us, Jesus. Look what the Scripture says in Romans 12 and verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, vengeance is mine. Can someone read those last few lines there? I will repay, saith the... 
the Lord. Avenge not yourselves. Avenge not yourselves. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Um, I alluded to this a few weeks ago, and I still don't know uh, the author of it, but someone once said, Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord. I will repay. But said, But God, if you scoot over just a little bit, I could help out. <laughs> Amen. There's a difference between vengeance and revenge. Injuries are typically revenged. Crimes are avenged. Revenge is an act of passion, where vengeance is an act of justice. The object typically of revenge is your enemy or the one that you took an offense to. Revenge normally is returned in likeness, right? They hit me, I hit them. They slander me, I slander them. Type of scenario. It usually is a minister, though, to a greater degree. You ever notice that? I, I mean, even I'm thinking back like just total childhood days, the trade a punch thing. You ever remember that? Some kid like hit you and like your anger went, you know, and so you traded a punch, but it wasn't equal to their punch. It was like a degree more. And that starts trading back and forth until you're to all out scuffle. And that's just a kind way of talk, calling it a fight. It's just kind of all out scuffle. Amen. And so at times though, here's what happens with offenses. Sometimes offenses boil down to fighting for what we believe is our rights. Is everybody Okay. Our rights. It was not right what that person did. It was not right what that person said. And what we want to do, we step into the, 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 the footprints of a lawyer and we want to prove that we were right. Because, I mean, in marriage, this is the big one, really. Because in marriage... The best argument in the marriage is a competition over who's right. From whether it's how you squeeze a tube of toothpaste and put toilet paper on the row to, you know, whether you said you was going to be somewhere at a certain time and you didn't show up but you for sure said that or silly stuff. Who was right? You almost come like a, 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 a document all rights reserved at the end, you know, type thing. <clears throat> the story was told of a very rich man in Springfield, Illinois, and this is, this is years ago, right? I'm talking about hundreds of years ago. Years ago. Who insisted that a certain poor man owed him $2.50. That lets you know that it was years ago, right? Hopefully no one's squabbling over $2.50 right now. Amen. And so when the claim was denied that he owed the man such, the rich man decided that I'm going to sue him. And you got to think context of hundreds of years ago for to even appreciate this. I'm going to sue him, for, you know, for this $2.50. So he contacted a young lawyer by the name of Lincoln. It was Abraham Lincoln at that time. Who at first hesitated to take on the case. But on second thought, he said, I, I agreed to do this. He said, I'll agree to take on your case if you pay me a fee of $10 up front. What he told the rich man. So in advance, the rich man gave him $10 up front and gave him the money. So Lincoln went to the other man that supposedly owed this guy $2.50, and he gave that guy 
$5. He says, I'll give you $5. He says, you keep $250 and you give $250 to that man that says that you owe him that. So the, the man that was accused gave $2.50 then back to the original man and everything was taken care of. The debt was taken care of. The other guy got $2.50 that he evidently didn't know in the first place. And Abraham Lincoln got $5, amen, for taking care of the situation. But the whole idea is this. The rich man who really kind of foolish paid three times the amount of the original debt just to gain his rights. <laughs> so being right and standing on an island of right may cost you more. If you would just acquiesce and go on and live your life. We got it somewhere, the moral of the story, somewhere you get to a place where you value relationship whether it's a marriage relationship, a church relationship, a saint relationship, a friendship, you value the relationship more than being right. More than being right. Because you may, you may never, quote unquote, get over what happened to you, but I think you can get beyond what happened to you. Again, the story of David and Saul, it's a prime example someone that's going beyond or getting beyond the offense or at least a good test whether or not you are offended by someone. When David received word, think about this now. Saul has been on him, I mean, like a bounty hunter. Conspiracy of other people on him. But whenever David received word that King Saul was killed in battle on the top of Mount Gilboa, the Bible says that it grieved. It grieved David wasn't happy about that. He didn't rejoice in the fact that this person that's been seeking his life now died. It grieved David, which I think is a testimony that David, yeah, he had some bad things happen to him from Saul, but he, 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 he got beyond it. Because now when this horrid thing has happened to Saul, his life has been taken. David's grieved in his heart that this has happened. The Bible says in Proverbs 24 and verse 17, Rejoice not when thine enemy falleth, and let not thine heart be glad when he stumbleth, lest the Lord see it and it displease him, and he turn away his wrath from him. Some of the implications in the Hebrew are that the Lord would turn away his wrath from him and turn it toward you. So whenever you have a quote-unquote enemy, someone that you're disgruntled or at odds with, don't, don't be, don't be a merry heart whenever it seems like then bad comes down. They're like good enough for them type of scenario. So don't, don't be doing that type of stuff. Don't rejoice or be glad when people may be reaping what they sowed. The law of the harvest will take care of the law of the harvest without your intervention. Someone hear me very clearly today. The law of the harvest will take care of the law of the harvest without your intervention. Whatsoever a man soweth, that, everybody say that, that will he also reap. Amen? That's without your intervention. You don't have to change the seed in the soil for that to happen. Huh? No. 
That's without our intervention. And so if, if we start, though, getting into that and we're rejoicing, we're like, you know, the smirk comes on our face whenever that's happening. What that is unveiling to us is that we really had a heart that was set on revenge. Really had a revengeful heart. Amen. David wasn't offended. Wasn't offended to the case that whenever Saul died that he couldn't lament. He was lamenting the memory of everything that had transpired, all of the stepping out from the javelins, all of that could have been very still yet fresh on his mind. But David's response reveals that he had moved beyond all of that because he is weeping and lamenting then over the death, amen, of, of King Saul. Now, I'm, I'm just going to just maneuver just a little bit here because a lot of what we talked about for the three lessons that we have had, our primary focus is uh, offenses uh, with one another, offenses with people, but there can also be offenses not just between person and person, but between a person and an institution. More plainly, there can be offenses between people and the church. And I'm not just talking about First Apostolic Church, I'm just talking about the church even. There can be offenses between people and a church, but there can be offenses between people and the church as well. As a matter of fact, and everybody, buckle your seatbelt, okay? All right? I love everybody, but you got to talk about stuff like this. A common reason sometimes that people change churches is over real or perceived offenses. Real or perceived offenses. Sometimes it might be because someone took offense with somebody else in that church. And so they throw the baby out with the bathwater. Since I was offended at someone in that church, then I'm just going to just go elsewhere. Or offense could happen between a person and the pastor or the pastor's family. And as a result of that, they could become offended at the pastor because the pastor preached something that offended them. We uphold perhaps the doctrine of the word of the Lord. Can I note, in that respect, they're really not offended with me or the pastor. They're offended with the word. Now I know we, I'm responsible on how I handle this word. Absolutely. Uh, you, you, you can... You know, with the same knife, you can cut somebody's heart out or you can cut cheese and feed somebody. Understand that 100%. But the attitude sometimes is that the church has done them wrong or that the problem is with the church, right? Listen, you've heard me say this already in the past three weeks. You're going to have a problem somewhere along the line in this thing called the church, You'll have it in your Lions Club, Knights of Columbus, and anything else you're part of. PTO for parents and your kids. Sporting, sporting things that you're a part of. You're going to have problems with other parents, with the coach that coaches the team. It's going to happen. If it hasn't happened yet, just wait. It'll happen. We offend all. We offend all. So this was a, a device that was advice I should say that was given to me before I ever came home off the evangelist field is that Brother Boyd told me whenever I was coming back here uh, and Brother Boyd was a church that we was helping for nine months before we ever came back home 
Brother Boyd told me, he said, Brother McGee said, one of the first things you need to settle, he said, in going back home, is that church, that church is where God wants you. He said, that's the first thing you need to settle in your mind and your spirit going there, is that that church is where God wants you. He said, because there'll come some things that will arise after you go home, that if you don't have that settled in your mind, you'll think the answer is to depart from that church. He said, so what you need to settle in your spirit is that church is your church, and that's where God wants you to be. Amen. And so I think that advice is good, not just for a pastor. I think that advice is good for a congregation, that that church is where God wants you to be. Amen. And we need to settle that to the degree concerning when it comes to offenses especially. Because if you don't, you will hop from church to church to church with each new offense that arises that you feel like you're a victim of. You hear me? And so you need to settle it in your mind. I understand, please, and someone going to paint with a broad brush today. I know that there are legitimate reasons for transfers of church. I know there's job transfers that take people a different way. I understand that all kinds of different things can happen, all right? But I'm saying, by and large, when we're looking at the playing field of offenses, you just don't change churches every day. You don't change jobs every day as a result of it. Brother Fred, you don't quit your business in Mount Carmel and start a new one in Albion as a result of it. Amen? And so you got to settle some things in your mind. So the conflict's going to come. It's going to come in this church. Conflict will come. But you've got to settle something. This is my church. This is my family. And we're, we're going to have our ups and downs. All right? Uh, I don't know if, you know, I don't know if, You'll start questioning everything about it if, if, if offense comes. Well, I don't know if that's my church. I, I don't, you know, Brother Malone's saying, I just, I just really don't know. I don't know if I'm really the one that's meant to be leading service up there. And it just, all the games start to be played then for your mind. You, you question whether or not wh- whatever capacity then you serve in the church. Well, I just really don't know about that. You'll question everything. And it really has nothing to do with what you're doing in the church. It has to do with maybe an offense that happened in the context of church so settle the fact that you are where you're supposed to be and then when all those other winds blow and conflicts arise which they're going to you will not uproot unless there is probable cause absolute reason why you should maybe a job change or maybe you know something else happens you know with life that we we could get into But if the absence of problems and troubles and offenses were the sole indicator about whether or not you were at the right place or doing the right thing, then none of us would be doing anything. It's like, well, I must be doing right because we've not had no problems. Well, honey, if that was the case, I would have never evangelized. Huh? If that was the case... I wouldn't have stayed here. Huh? If that was the case, me and my wife wouldn't be together anymore. If that was the case, there'd be a lot of quote-unquote friendships I wouldn't have anymore. (sighs) 
the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 18, but now hath God set the members, every one of them, speaking about the church or the bride being as a body, that God, God set. Can someone say that God set? God set the members, every one of them in the body as it hath pleased him. God set you in the body, amen, as it has pleased him. If God has placed me in the body, and I understand, I'm talking about this overall thing called the church, the body. Amen. If God has set me in the body, particularly per se in a certain church, maybe I'm maybe first apostolic church is the foot of the body. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Because there's many members, there are a lot of different placements. You know, the hand is not the foot and the foot, but we're all a part of the body, this overall church. I don't maybe first apostolic church, maybe it's the big toe. I don't know what it is, but if God has placed me in the body, then I believe, and he's put me there because it's pleased him, then I believe it's, it's incumbent upon us, or it should be our responsibility, then I need to figure out what I need to be doing where I'm at. Amen. Find my purpose and execute it rather than having a wandering eye for the next appendage to become a part of. Brother Mason, maybe I should have called in this morning had you just go on and do one of those clinch hits things. Amen. Amen. So we've got to find our purpose. If the sole reason to go somewhere else is to fill a void, well, Brother McGee, I feel like I need to go there because they have void or whatever. They need to use me there. Well, please understand this, and I say this with all the, the love I can tell you. If you're going somewhere else to fill a void, understand whatever you filled here. When you leave, you create a void. God has put you where you are, and I, this is just personal belief, even the church you are in, the psalmist said that God setteth the solitary. God setteth the solitary in families. God looked at us, solitary people, and set us in church families, in church congregations. Amen. God did that. And I'm not about to take issue of God and say, you didn't know what you was doing, God. Amen. God is happy with his choice, and we should be happy with it as well. Uh, this is Brother Carpenter. We went through this with Arn Sharpens Arn a few months ago. He did this uh, let's talk thing down in Mississippi. It's been over a year ago now, but he spoke about the man of the Gadarenes who, who became healed and dispossessed of the devil and in his right mind. And that man wanted to go with the Lord. He wanted to travel with the Lord. You know what the Lord told that man? He said, you go back home. You stay right here. Because he says, I want you to stay right where you've been delivered. And the, the, the concept was this. There's many of you that this particular church has been your, your womb where you were helped burn. Huh? Isn't it great that after that, that you can turn around then and invest in the very thing that helped birth you? Now, I'm going to stand up here and tell you today, I know for sure that it doesn't always work this way. I was just at a funeral not long ago, just recently, and I could count on more than my hands and feet probably 100 ex-people that I used to go to church with that don't anymore. 
over the process of 45 years of life. So that tells me things happen, things change, some legitimately, some illegitimately. You saying, Brother McGee, we can't go to heaven? No, I'm not saying we can't go to heaven, but there's also the pleasure aspect with God. You know what I'm saying? There's the good and the, and the, and the perfect and the acceptable will of God. Amen? Amen. And so just, just things for consideration. He set the solitary into families. In reality, <laughs> the Lord should be the guiding principle, all right, whenever it comes to, to church. He set us in the body as it has pleased him. I believe we're in the first apostolic church. Whatever this is in the body of Christ, God set us here for a reason, all right? If I want to move from FAC to ABC or XYZ, yeah, I'm still in the body where God wants me perhaps in the body and you can be saved again. I believe that, but I believe there is the good and the perfect and the, the acceptable will of God that the book of Romans talks about. Amen. Uh, my, the, when we have real church moves, Brother Angel and Sister Chaz, Sister Angel and Brother Chaz, it's a great, great uh, option. They start going to Haven. That church is much closer. They were having to drive, what, over an hour to get here for church. That church is much closer. They weren't able to be here consistent because of the drive. That is a closer church for them. I am not disheartened over that. They're able to be more involved at that church than what they were here, and probably their lives are going in a positive direction because they're able to be more involved. I am happy 100% for them. I don't have, they didn't leave because someone offended them. And God changes sometimes direction. And there's job uh, relocations. Side note, if you ever get a job relocation, you're saying, Brother McGee, it's going to be great, this new job. Let me tell you the first thing you need to consider. Is there an apostolic church there before you ever say yes to the transfer? Is there a church there? Amen. So, <laughs> listen, whenever... Whenever changes are, are muddy is whenever someone leaves and there's a trail of bitter feelings that's left to contend with. There's an offense trail that's left to deal with. I love the phrase that John Bevere suggests as an exit sign as a person or family is directed by God to legitimately change their church or whatever the reason may be. He used Isaiah 55 and 12, a phrase out of there. For ye shall go out with joy and be led forth with peace. Go out with joy and peace. You know what I love? I love whenever I know enough ahead of time that there is a transfer and it's not under the guise of offense. You know what we like to do, really, when we are afforded the opportunity? to celebrate that person's time that they were at FAC and the investment that they made while they were here. We'll probably have a party and food and so on and so forth. Why? Because we appreciate the time and investment they did when they were here. But you can't do that a lot of times when leaves are through the mode of offense because they're quick to get out and not allowing for any time of the joy. Oh, God. Is everybody doing Okay. Man, I feel like just a pastor today or something. I don't know what's going on. Remember that the different times that Elijah even moved during the time of no rain, you know, all of his movements were placed upon this. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, go to Cherub. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, go to Zarephath. And the word of the Lord came unto me saying, 
Amen. From place to place. Amen. Everybody okay? Offenses. Got to watch them. Got to watch them. And we try, and I won't always get it right. I try to give appreciation. I try to. Uh, to all the different places and sometimes if I know if I'm going to get in the, the name calling you know place of I'm going to miss somebody's name to kind of give a blanket statement I try to do all of that uh, sometimes I'm better at it than others or seasons better than others uh, but if you're ever offended just because I, I forgot to recognize you or encourage you I'm sorry uh, but if you're going to live life with that type of mentality you've got a long road ahead of you and that's not to say, Brother Mason, we shouldn't offer uh, thanks and appreciation to people. But it's also, you shouldn't live on the opposite side that, you know, I, I saw you pick up a piece of trash off that and I need a state from the pulpit. I'm so glad that Brother Malone picked up the trash that was in the center aisle before church tonight. You understand what I'm getting at? We can become petty. And you, <laughs> God help me. I'm glad I'm not doing both services today. There's some things that I'll do sometimes that you won't agree with. Side note, there's some things and choices I make around here you won't agree with, but you won't know the why behind the what. And you never will know the why. Because the why maybe is not for you to know. But you got to trust that there was a why that produced the what that you don't really care for. I don't know if that resonates with anybody what I just said. But there's sometimes if I divulge the why, I could be airing some other things in other people's lives that you need to never know about. So the what had to come because of that why, but that why you don't need to know because I'm in protective mode for somebody else and their integrity. Whew. Amen. Bible says the Bible says in Psalms 92 so if you're just always going to scan a defense here's what you miss you miss the value of longevity you miss the value of longevity the Bible says in Psalms 92 and I'm not did you guys come out early I'm not even where I need to be Psalms 92 and verse 12 the righteous shall flourish like the palm tree he shall grow like a cedar in Lebanon. Those that be planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. They shall still bring forth fruit in old age. They shall be fat and flourishing. These trees, the palm tree and the cedar tree, they can thrive even, you can read of them, they can thrive even in some of the most unfavorable situations and environments. Both of these trees are evergreens. They, 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 picture, they picture a year-round stability, but it says those that flourish are those that are planted in the house of the Lord. And look, even in old age, they're producing fruit. Here is the matter. We know this. Tracy, we know this. Have you ever taken a plant and transplanted it, and transplanted it, and transplanted it, and transplanted it. You know what you're doing to that poor plant? You're never affording it the opportunity to get a good root system. If you constantly transplant a plant, it will not have the root system it could get if it was stayed in the same soil for a long time. 
its roots will be stunted. It will have a diminished root system. And if you consistently transplant it, you could even kill. You could even kill that plant because it doesn't have a root system to support it. But when you put roots down somewhere and you say, this is my church, this is where I belong, this is where I'm at, you can get to a place that in old age you experience longevity and the Bible says, and it's still bearing fruit because it stayed somewhere long enough to drive some roots in the soil, get nourishment from that soil, water from that soil, and produce something on its vine. You're beneficial to the house that you're planted in when you just get a tenacity it says I'm still here does that say that a storm never came no does that say a twig or an arm on you never got broken no but it says I, I, re, I got healed in the house that I got wounded in well someone say amen when we were down in Florida years ago they always said that the colder the winters are, the sweeter the oranges would be. It was a direct result. When they had the more bitter winters, they had the sweeter of oranges. Not only that, droughts have caused many root systems to go deeper than what times of plenteous rain have. Droughts cause them to search and seek for water. And so those roots are growing and spreading out, trying to find these things. Amen. And so they have a more founded stability because of some of the things they'd went through. Mark chapter number four. I, I, I got to hurry. Oh, Jesus, help us. Amen. Verse number 16, Mark four and verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground who when they had heard the word immediately receive it with gladness and have no root in themselves and so endure but for a time, right? Afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately, notice the wordage here in the parable of Mark, immediately they are offended. Huh? It's describing a seed that goes in the ground and doesn't have no depth of a root system. That whenever persecution happened, if I say uh, possible offense happened, immediately, everybody say immediately. Immediately they are offended. Listen, and, 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 and this is okay, and this happens, and please understand the heart in which I say this. Please understand. Someone come here from a other church. Number one, I'd rather it not happen, Okay. I'm just being 100% honest with you. But if it does, we're going to love them. We're going to be kind to them to the best of our ability. All right? I'd rather it not happen. All right? I'd rather it be someone that don't, don't, don't have a church, that are lost, don't know God. That is the absolute preference because that, that's the purpose of the church. The purpose of the church is to see the lost saved, not to see saved people transfer. Is this okay today? Yeah. Hear the heart of pastor here for a moment. Let me tell you, and I'll give you maybe a why for you. Because what happens, and I always leave this as an option, whoever comes here from another place. Because you know a lot of times the reason why they're here is because of something that happened the other place. And you know what I know? Through time, that's all going to go away. And you know what often happens? Listen to pastor. This is not my first rodeo. 
You know what often happens? Whatever that is gets taken care of eventually. You know what they want to do? They want to go back home. And I tell them when they come, if they come here, I say if there's any ever time in the future that you want to go back to your home church, that door's open. Now let me tell you the hardship on this side. Are you listening to me? Listen to me very well. The hardship on this side is this. They come here maybe for a good period of time. We utilize them in different areas where we can around the church. They create friendships with all of you. Are you listening to me? And when their other schism back at their other church gets finally taken care of and they want to go back home and I say, okay, you know what happens? Then voids are created in this church family and friendships that they are had here. There's people that's dealing with depression in my church because someone left to go back home. And so that's where I am as a pastor. I want, I'm, want that soul to be saved, yes. But I also know if they ever go back home, I got to deal with helping keep the hands of all the people that are still here that never left. Encouraged and uplifted. So there's your why. There's your why that maybe you don't really think about much. Amen? You got to consider those things. Because what I understand as a pastor is this, and I think of this all times. See, things go on sometimes that it's not just a person. I got a people. The church is no solitary person. It's a grouping of people. And sometimes you do, you make decisions with the mindset of the whole grouping of the people at the sake of a person or in spite of a person. I know that's hard to think about, but sometimes you've got to make decisions like that. Everybody doing okay? <sighs> Can I finish this up? Will you give me like five more minutes? So with that being said, God help me. Is everybody, I'm, I'm, if they left somewhere to come to your place, why couldn't they leave your place to go somewhere? So you've got to allow your roots to get deep. Hmm? It's harder to dig up that plant that has deep roots. It's like you're ever going to get to the, you know, you're like digging and you're, you're, your diameter of your circle's bigger and you're trying to get this whole, it's hard to. And then they're sown on stony ground. They're, they're already previously offended, if I could say it like that. Stony ground is like there's already some things in the way that's prohibit the root. God, Lord, why are you having me do this today? Because many times you don't leave your offense. You take your offense with you. Mm-hmm. You don't leave it. You didn't leave it back at XYZ Church. No, you brought your offense with you. And now you're trying to form relationships with a previous offense that's already, because now you set people at bay, right? You got your walls of protection. You only allowed them so far in because you got previous offenses that you're banking on how you should operate in this relationship. So we already don't have a good bond because past offenses you're allowing to hinder that bond oh god you got stony ground that's prohibiting a good root system amen all right we got to go on and we got to move here 
and we all probably need to do this from time to time, and that is ask God to help us not to develop the everyone is against me mode, a.k.a. victim mentality. Listen, this is important. If in every relationship you have, you always feel like you've been the one done wrong, a friendship, this one here and that one, and, and all these different things that you're a part of, churches, organizations, stuff, and you're always the one coming back. I'll tell you what, they didn't treat me right. If you're the one in all these varied things are coming back talking about how you've been done wrong, it's probably not you've not been done. It's probably not you've been done wrong. It's probably that you have a victim mentality. Because if you take... Ten different things that you're a part of, and in all those ten different things that have no overlapping, you're always the one that's being done wrong. You have a everyone is against me mode mentality. I hate to pull the cover off of you, but you are not the one that's the victim. It's every other place you've been a part of that's really at victim because of that mentality you've got. And when that happens, then people then just isolate themselves. They can't have any relationship. They can't be a part of any organization. They're going to do church at home. Cain became offended at God because, and his brother, Cain became offended at, at the institution, God, if you will, and his brother, right? Because the Bible says that, that Abel brought a... a, a um, a more meaningful sacrifice. It was a blood sacrifice and not just of the earth, all right, of, of a vegetable or thing of that kind. And he became offended at God and his brother. He kills his brother, all right? Here's, I know that was in a literal, but offense will cause you to do that. Maybe not in the literal sense, but in many senses the same way. You'll cut them off. He kills his brother, and what else does he do? He leaves the presence of God. And he sets out on a lifestyle of what? The Bible says that he was a fugitive. The Bible says that he was a vagabond. What does that mean? He goes from place to place, from place to place. He didn't stay anywhere very, very long, nowhere to work through his feelings. And as a result, the scripture says that he could no longer cultivate the ground. That's what he was. He was a farmer. But he could no longer cultivate the ground. Why? Because he couldn't stay around long enough for a harvest. Harvest takes consistently being somewhere. Imagine poor these old farmers out here that own thousands of acres. Brother Trout, they would never be able to be a farmer if each year they decide, well, I'm going to farm here one year and go farm over in that, that state. Another year, going to farm, going to farm, going to farm. I'm going to change farming every six months. I mean, come on. How are you going to do that? You can't. It's not sustainable. Stand for me this morning. I'm sorry, I went long today. I'm not trying to make up for tonight, Brother Alex. I'm not. John Bevere said, he said, offended people still may experience miracles and they still may experience words of utterance. They still can experience strong preaching and healing in their lives. But these things are the gifts of the Spirit, not fruits of the Spirit. And we're going to be judged someday not according to our gifts, we're going to be judged according to our fruit. A gift is given 
But a fruit requires being cultivated. You've got to stay somewhere long enough to plant the seed, water, nutrients, and harvest. And please, this morning, I close with this. If anybody is presently right here that's come from another place, I hope you didn't misunderstand my little segue there on that. But I do think we need to be careful and cautious with that, whether coming or going. All right? And please afford Sister McGee and I an opportunity to have a conversation. Because if there's something wrong, we'll try to make it right. If we're afforded a conversation. I cannot read minds. I can't even read my wife's mind, Sister Cox, let alone yours. And I've been with her for going on 26 years. But uh, let's do this thing called church life together. And let's do it with the understanding that we offend all. And that you know what? Today might not be my day, but tomorrow might be. I ain't don't know what to do with a service like this. Like just lay on the altar and say, oh, God. Oh, let's bow our heads all across this building. Hallelujah, Jesus. God, I'm asking God for your hand upon our lives. God, I need you. We need you, Lord, as individuals. We need you, Lord, in our relationships. We need you, Lord, as our relationship, Lord, with, Lord, this sector of the church called FAC and the overall, Lord, God, or organism called the church. God, we need you, Lord. God, there are ups and downs and there are faults and failures and there are, Lord, myriad opportunities, Lord, for offenses. Help us, oh God, today, Lord, to be able to move beyond them, Lord, for the betterment, God, of our lives and the life and vitality, Lord, of the church, Lord, family as a whole. Oh, God, we cast all of our care upon you, oh, Lord. God, I pray, Jesus, today that you would protect every mind, protect every heart. Help us, oh, Lord, bathe us, Lord, in your grace and your mercy, Lord, and your love. I pray, oh, God, let it not just be a fight, God, over what is right, God, our own personal rights, but, God, help us, oh, Lord, to, God, just be at the mercy of the Savior, I pray. God, some days, Lord... We're the one on the cross and some days we're the one holding the hammer and the nail. I pray, God, today, help us, oh God. Help us to surrender our lives, Lord, and the welfare of our lives, Lord, unto you. Help us to grow into the image and the stature of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, let your mark, God, let your mark and image be imprinted upon our lives and we'll not fail to thank you, Lord Jesus, for it. God, let your banner over us be love. God, Lord, for love covereth a multitude, Lord Jesus of sins. God, I thank you and praise you, Lord Jesus, for your goodness today. God, touch us anew by your spirit in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.